Welcome to the Focus Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that it inspires you and gives you a fresh perspective. Enjoy the sermon. And uh, My name is Mike and I'm the pastor here. If you're standing, I ask that you remain standing for just a few moments as we have a one-off weekend or a standalone sermon. Uh, we start a brand new series next week titled, How's Your Heart? You're going to want to be there for that. You're going to want to be here for that. It's going to be an incredible series, four weeks on how to take care of your soul. And I couldn't think of a better way to kind of pregame that series than with having a clinical professional come and talk to us about our anxiety, our mental health, our depression, and what the Bible says about that. And so my best friend in the entire world, someone who I've rolled with for a long time, someone who is my ride or die, my brother from another mother, medical doctor, Dr. Michael Hudson is in the building. Would you clap your hands and welcome him as he comes and preach? Come on in the chat right now. Just say, welcome, Doc. We're so glad you're here, Doc. Come on in Apex. Would you clap your hands? He's from Holly Springs. He goes to your campus. You better give God some praise. Amen. Amen. You guys go ahead and have your take a seat. Good morning, good morning. You made it through the cold weather and the rain, and it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. There's no football this Sunday, and it's raining outside, so I might as well take my time, amen? Yeah. Well, I was going to take my time anyway, but I'm glad, you're, I'm glad you're with me today. Well, last time I was here with you, I think it was July 5th or so, and I told you I was the father of three girls. And those who knew me best, particularly my folks over at the Apex campus, they called me and they said, no, we know you have two kids. There's something that you're not telling us. I said, yeah, that's right. I'm a, we're pregnant. We're expecting our third girl. Amen. Amen. But I said, I said I had three kids because we know that life does not start at birth. Life does not start at conception. Life starts when God knew you. And Jeremiah 1.5 says that God knew you before he formed you in your mother's womb. That before you were born, you were set apart. And that means that your life has significance. Your life has meaning. And that's good news today. Because regardless of the circumstances of your, of your conception or your birth or your upbringing, your life has value and meaning. And you're important to God. So I don't know what you were doing during your quarantine times, but this is the product. I think we have a picture of my quarantine. I don't know. No? Okay, no picture. Well, I had a nice picture. You have to friend me on Facebook. You can see a beautiful picture of my, my new daughter. We named her Camille Josephine. So Cammie Joe, if you're from North Carolina. Killer Cam, if you're from the city. And I wanted to pay honor to my beautiful wife, Deborah, who is uh, holding it all together. Amen. And uh, we would totally fall apart without her. She's um, everything to me. And before we get started, I want to pay honor to Pastor Mike and Pastor Ashton. I will never get up here and not pay honor where honor is due. So we honor Pastor Mike and Pastor Ashton. I want to thank you. I want to honor you for being obedient to the call of God on your life for this church. Because what I'm finding out is that good intentions don't override godly obedience. Good intentions don't override godly obedience. So thank you for being obedient. And personally, just thank you for being a friend, like Golden Girls or Golden Boys, whatever it is. 
We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're looking at the first monarch king of Israel. The first monarch king of Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 16 was Saul. Before the Israelites were governed by uh, a monarchy, they were governed by the judges, but they eventually said, we want a king like the other nations around us. And so Saul was brought up. Now, we tend to not look favorably upon Saul because we're familiar with his jealousy of David and trying to kill David. But when Saul was first anointed and appointed as king, the spirit of God fell upon Saul. It says that the spirit of God fell upon Saul, and, and it was evidenced by the fact that Saul began to prophesy. And Saul found favor with people, and he found victory in battle. But it wasn't long after that that he became disobedient. He fell off course. He became stubborn. He, uh, he relied on himself more than he relied on God, and ultimately it led to disobedience on more than one occasion. And so what we're going to read in 1 Samuel chapter 16 is, is God withdrawing his spirit from Saul. And this is sort of the beginning of the end for Saul. And David has just been anointed king. And it reads as follows in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 14 through 23. Now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Some of Saul's servants said to him, a tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music and you will soon be well again. All right, Saul said, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. One of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he is a brave warrior, a man of war and has good judgment. He is also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. That sounds like some of your husbands. Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, send me your son David, the shepherd. Jesse responded by sending David to Saul along with a young goat, a donkey loaded with bread, and a wineskin wine full of wine. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much, and David became, became his armor-bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, asking, Please let David remain in my service, for I'm very pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp. Then Saul would feel better, and the tormenting spirit would go away. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Move in this place, God. Open up every ear, open up every eye. Speak directly to us. Decrease me so that you may be increased. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, John. Let me do a medical assessment on you. I know you haven't had your yearly appointment yet. So let me be a doctor for a moment. 2020 was a rough year and 2021 is off to a strong start. And so how many would say that they've experienced some weight gain in the last six months? Well, most people still working off the Halloween candy, if you're anything like me. Or maybe you've had some unexplained weight loss. How many people would say that you're struggling in the last six months with maybe difficulty sleeping? I can say that because I've got a little kid at home. Or maybe you're sleeping too much or maybe you're sleeping too little. Maybe some might say lately you've been feeling a little agity or, or fidgety or, or, or triggered too easily. Or maybe the opposite, you've been feeling a little sluggish. Perhaps you've had increased fatigue that you don't really, can't really explain. You just don't have the energy that you usually have. Or maybe you're struggling with your concentration. You can't concentrate like you usually do. 
This one's a little harder in the last six months. Has anybody struggled with guilt, unexplained guilt that you can't really figure out? Well, if you're suffering from these things to an extreme degree, to an uh, to a point where it's interfering with your quality of life, and particularly if it's associated with feelings of decreased mood and feelings of what's called anhedonia, which is a lack of interest in doing the things that you usually enjoy doing, you may be diagnosed with clinical depression. And sometimes in extreme circumstances, even accompanied by suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideations. And this is something that deals with a lot of people, and maybe we don't talk about it enough in the church, but I've seen this affect adults, and I've seen it affect young children. I've seen it affect women, and I've seen it affect men. I've seen it affect non-believers, and I've seen it affect believers. Even pastors can sometimes suffer with this. The medical statistics will show that one in five adults would experience a serious depression episode within their lifetime, and one in 10 teenagers, adolescents, will experience depression within a 12-month period. It's even an attack on our legacy, on our next generation. It's the second suicide. It's the second leading cause of death for kids between the ages of 10 and 19. And 8% of adolescents will report a suicide attempt within a 12-month period. This is something that we have to deal with. And they'll often list family discord or an argument with a significant other or, or dealing with peers or abuse as reasons why. And the trends are heading in the wrong direction. And experts will say that maybe it's because of a, a structural issue in the brain. The hippocampus is too small. Or maybe it's related to neurotransmitters in the, in the brain, not enough serotonin or dopamine. Or they'll say maybe it's a genetic cause. Or maybe it's something environmental, some sort of traumatic life event. But verse 14, the Bible says that the spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. So whether it's from a genetic cause or a structural issue or some sort of traumatic life event, we must not neglect that there's a spiritual component to what we're dealing with. There's a spiritual component. The battle that you are facing is not physical. It's spiritual. And we don't battle in the physical and we don't battle with the physical. We battle spiritually against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. So in all of our battles, depression or otherwise, we must not and cannot neglect the spiritual component. And this is the first reminder I have for you today. The battle you are facing is spiritual. The battle you are facing is spiritual. We are told to put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that we can withstand the attacks of the devil. So then, what are the attacks of the devil? He'll attack your body and he'll attack your mind. Look at the example of Job. First, the devil attacked Job's wealth. Then he attacked his family. And then he attacked his health. Gave him boils over his body from head to toe. So, so severe that his wife told him to curse God and die. How bad do you have to be suffering for your wife to tell you to curse God and die? Now, some of your ex-wives have told you to die, but I'm talking about your, your, I'm talking about your good wife, the one, the one you brought here today. Curse God and die, as in to blame God and give up, which is never the right answer. But I could see how somebody might get there. I've met the person suffering with physical pain so much that they want to give up. I've met the person suffering from depression so much that they want to give up. And I've not been that far, but I have wanted to chop off my finger. There was a time a few months ago when I got a little infection in my thumb, got 
started very slow and got worse and worse. Next thing I know, the thumb is red, it's swollen, it's throbbing, it was hurting so bad. And I literally thought to myself, I either wanted to smash it with a hammer or chop it off. <laughs> that's, how, that's literally how bad it hurt. And so then I can imagine if someone's really suffering seriously in their body or seriously in their mind, how they might feel. But to curse God and die, to, to blame God and give up is never the right answer. Job tells her it's a foolish response. It's a foolish response, and this is why. Because if you accept the good from God, then you have to accept the adversity. If you accept the good times from God, then you have to accept the bad times. That's just the natural ebb and flow of life, which is good news because if you're down now, just hold on. It's going to get better later. In fact, in his response to his adversity, Job says, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the response to your adversity. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you know how to bless the name of the Lord? I've had some good times and I've had some bad times, but blessed be the name of the Lord. I've had some ups and I've had some downs, but blessed be the name of the Lord. I've had some victories and I've had some defeats, but blessed be the name of the Lord. I've been sick in my body and I've been healthy, but blessed be the name of the Lord. I've had troubles in my mind, but I've been happy other times. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all times, in all situations, in all circumstances, I will bless the name of the Lord. Why? Because I've learned the secret to being content in every situation. Whether I have little or have much, or if I'm well-fed or if I'm hungry, or if I'm healthy, or if I'm sick, the secret to being content in every situation is knowing that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So I'm talking to the person who's on the verge of giving up. I'm talking to the person who's having trouble holding on. I came here to let you know that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, that you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. So hold on and don't give up. Thank you, Jesus. The devil attacks your body and then he attacks your mind. It's a spiritual warfare for, the, for your mind, for the six inches between your ears. For some people, it's eight inches because your head is bigger. <laughs> he attacks your mind with lies. Try to tell you that, you that you aren't pretty enough or you aren't skinny enough. That's a lie. That you aren't strong enough. That's a lie. You aren't smart enough. That's a lie. That you aren't worthy of love and you don't deserve love. That you can't do it and you can't make it. Those are all lies from the devil. And the devil is the father of lies. 2 Corinthians 10 says that we have a divine power to demolish strongholds. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. And to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We have a divine, divine power to take captive these thoughts. You have to take them captive. God didn't say that about you. That's not what God believes about you. That's not what God knows about you. That's why we hide the word of God in our hearts. So when the devil comes at the, with these lies, we respond back with the word of God, just like Jesus did in the wilderness. He'll try to tell you that you were a mistake. You'll say, no, no, no. Psalm 139 says that God created me in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. The devil will try to tell you that you're not supposed to be here. No, 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 no. Jeremiah 29, 11 says God knows the plans he has for you. The devil will try to tell you that you, you don't know if you can go on. No, no, no. Philippians 1, 6 says that he who began a good work in me will carry it out into completion into the day of Christ Jesus. These are spiritual battles. And I'm trying to help someone out there transform your life by renewing your mind. Now, let me talk to you as a doctor again. If you have a fever, pray about it and take some Tylenol. If you have cancer, pray about it and take some chemotherapy. 
If you have a pneumonia, pray about it and take some antibiotics. Maybe you're into essential oils. Then pray about it and take all the oils. Whatever you do, pray about it and get some help. And if you're suffering from depression, then pray about it and get some help. And for somebody, help might be a, a therapist or, or a psychologist. For somebody, it might be a, a psychiatrist who can prescribe medications. There's nothing wrong with getting help. And somebody out there, you may be in need of help right now, today. Like, if you don't get help immediately, you're at risk of doing something that you can't undo, making a mistake that you can't take back. And if that's how you're feeling, where you're feeling unsafe to yourself, then you need to tell somebody, call 911 and go to the nearest emergency room. Tell somebody, call 911 and go to the nearest emergency room. And depending on what time of day you go and where you go, you might even see me there. But get help. But having said that, I must also acknowledge that the therapist or medications can't fill a spiritual void. That your friends or your family can't fill a spiritual void. Your dog or your cat can't fill a spiritual void. Only an encounter with the risen king can fill a spiritual void. Only an encounter with Jesus Christ can fill a spiritual void. Can he heal your depression? The good news is, yes, he can. Verse 14 says that God took away his spirit and sent a different spirit. This tells me that God is in control. God is in control. And number two, this tells me that all things, spirits included, are under the authority and rule of God, which is good news because that means that you're not beyond cure. I thought I had authority over my dog, but it peed all over the place. I thought I had authority over my kids, but they still talk back. But in my house, over my wife, no authority there either. <laughs> Partial authority everywhere. But God has complete authority. And just as God gave authority over animals in the beginning of time, Jesus Christ has complete spiritual authority. The Bible says that Jesus destroys every ruler, authority, and power, and God puts all things under his authority. That means that the spirit of depression is under the authority of Jesus. The spirit of fear is under the authority of Jesus. The spirit of doubt and anxiety and worry are under the authority of Jesus. Reminder number two is that Jesus has complete spiritual authority. Jesus has complete authority. So what we find in verse 14 is not God just handing out spirits of depression for, for fun. Saul's depression is actually a consequence of his sin. It's actually a consequence of his disobedience. And we need to ask ourselves, is what we're dealing with a consequence of sin? Is there a sin that we need to repent from in order to find peace in our spirit? Put in another way, in order for you to find peace in your spirit, you must repent from your sin. So whether God sent the, the spirit directly or, or he allowed the devil to do it or it was the void created when God's spirit was removed, the root cause was Saul's sin. Root cause analysis is what the therapists call it. Try to go back into your past as far as they can to figure out what's the root cause for the issue that you're dealing with. But what about dealing with the root cause of the problem of the human condition, which is sin? And without dealing with sin, we cannot deal with any of the problems of the human condition, including depression. The other problem with the root cause analysis is it doesn't ask, answer the root question, which is why. Why me, and, and why do I have to suffer for this, and, and what's the purpose? That's the question that your doctors can't answer. 
And the reason is, is because he's trying to show you something. He's trying to take you through something. God is trying to develop you. And so the question isn't why. The, the response is, thank you. Thank you, God, for developing me. It requires a higher level of spiritual maturity. But spiritual maturity is taking delight in being developed by God. Take delight in being developed by God. Now, I don't remember everything from my childhood. But I do remember two beatings most vividly. It was spankings, beatings, potato, potato. And uh, one was from my mother and one was from my father. And I'm too embarrassed to tell you the reasons why now, but I can share with you later. At the time, I would have told you that they were unnecessary. But in hindsight, I see that they were necessary. And now that I'm older, I see what they were doing, that they were molding me and guiding me in the ways of the Lord. But do you know, in, in all the times I've had a spanking as a kid, never once as a kid did I say thank you. Never said thank you. But now that I'm an adult, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that they molded me and guided me in the ways of the Lord. Which is why when I spank my kids, I make them say thank you. <laughs> no, I don't do that. <laughs> That would be messed up, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be messed up. I did say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And she said, no, it's not. And I was like, yeah, I didn't know what to say. I was like, oh. My parents didn't have it all right. Paul, the apostle Paul, knew something about how to take delight in being developed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says he was given a thorn in his side. He described it as a, a messenger of Satan sent to torment him. Why? He says to prevent him from becoming conceited. And what was his response? To delight in his weakness. And what was God's response? God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And that's the fourth reminder, that God's grace is sufficient for you. So whatever you're going through, whatever tormenting spirit you're dealing with, God's grace is sufficient for you today. God is not going to abandon you. He's not going to leave you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So even though Saul had depression in the beginning of uh, uh, verse 14, by the end he was being comforted and the spirit went away. That's the su sufficiency of God's grace. That even in our struggles, even in our worst times, even in our darkest moments, that God is still with us and he still loves us and his grace still covers us. His grace is sufficient for you. So three things to do if you're dealing with depression. Three things to do. Change your circle, change your activity, change your perspective. Change your circle, change your activity, change your perspective. C-A-P, or no cap is what the young kids call it. No cap. No, that means no lie for you old folks. No lie, no cap. I worked really hard to get three letters that spelled a word. Change your circle. Saul had the right people around him at the right time. They said, we know something's troubling you. We know how to fix it, and we know the man to get it. You got to be around the right people. You got to be around people who are going to build you up and not tear you down. You got to be around people who are going to know when something's troubling you. You got to be around people who know how to help you. And not only that, you got to be around people who are willing to help you, not with just words, but actions as well. You have to be around the right people. Proverbs 18, 24 says, there are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. Some of you might have too many fake friends. You got to be around the right people. If you changed your relationships, if you changed the people that you associated with, your whole life would change. All the time I see someone with depression that's often triggered by another individual, 
sadly, sometimes even their family. And if they could get around away from that person, if they could get out of that situation, their whole world would be so much better. So moving forward, you need to set some boundaries. You need to set some boundaries from some people. Don't let them destroy your joy. Don't let them rob you of your peace. You need to set some boundaries around some groups. You know, when you go around this group or that group, it makes you feel a certain kind of way or it makes you do certain things and set some boundaries there. Set some boundaries with the websites that you visit. They're not good for your mental health. Set some boundaries with the, the movies you watch and the music you consume. It's not good for your mental health. Set some boundaries on social media. Some people may need to even delete the apps altogether. And definitely don't let your kids on it. They don't have the mental, emotional, and spiritual maturity to deal with it. And I know because most adults don't either. Set some boundaries. Change your circle. So if you're looking for a new circle, if you're looking for a new group, we have them for you. Focus.church slash groups. Sign up for a group, a life-giving group, a Christian-based group, one that's going to build you up, one that's going to know what's wrong and help you spiritually. Change your circle. The next thing is change your activity. Now, I know one of the characteristics of depression is not really enjoying the things that you usually enjoy doing, so, but that also implies that maybe you might enjoy doing something different. They said, Saul, you can't sit here and be sad. We have to try something different. We're going to get some music in here. So try something you haven't done before. Take up a hobby. Go, go for a hike. Get out in nature. Exercise. Go to the beach. Pick up knitting. I don't knit, but the pictures, they seem to be happy with when they're knitting. <laughs> try knitting. Or sign up to serve. Igettoserve.com. You never feel more fulfilled than when you're serving God's people in one, one capacity or another. When you're serving God in God's house, it brings purpose to your life. It brings a desire for life. This is what David does. The, the, the verse said that David served Saul. So maybe you don't identify with Saul. Maybe you've got it all together right now. Maybe your mental health is good to go. Then be David to somebody. Bring somebody else up. Lift somebody else up. Sit with them. Talk with them. Do things with them. Show them the love of Christ. Be David. I can't overstate the, the value of living for someone else and it's, and it's a way to give you a passion and a desire for life. I've seen patients with depression, even suicidal thoughts, and they say, but I would never do that because my kids need me, because they're living for someone else. Someone else is depending on them. Paul says it this way in Philippians 1, 22 through 25. He says, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. That's why you're not dead, because you have more fruitful work for Christ. That's why you can't give up, because you have more fruitful work to do for Christ. Amen. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. Paul understood the desire to want to, to wanna live and die, to want to wanna live and then just go to be in heaven, because it's hard. We understand it's hard. He understood this. But he says he doesn't just die. He says, but for your sakes, for the sake of someone else. It is better that I continue to live. And that's where you find purpose, when you live for someone else, when you serve someone else. He goes on to say, knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. We need you. Someone needs you. I know you feel like you don't matter. You may feel like if you died, no one would, would care, but that's a lie. We need you. 
And you have more fruitful work to do. You have more work to do. Lastly, as John comes, change your perspective. Change your perspective. The Bible says that when David played his harp, the tormenting spirit would go away. Worship. Worship changes your perspective. Worship is the cure for your condition. Depression is a self-centered disease process. You begin to think about yourself and how you're feeling and all of your problems. It makes you feel bad, and then it makes you feel worse, and the cycle just is just a negative, vicious cycle. But worship breaks the cycle because it takes the attention off of yourself and reflects it back onto God. It's easy to come in here depressed. It's hard to leave depressed. You can come into this house depressed, but it's hard to leave depressed. You may have had a tough week. You may have had a serious weight on you, and you put on a fake smile just to make it through the parking lot and make it through the lobby. You sit down. You don't talk to anybody. I understand. But around about the second song, suddenly the peace of God begins to come over you. And you could be face down at the altar. You can feel like you have a, an army of tormenting spirits around you. But yet still in the middle of your worship, there's a peace of God that comes over you. The peace of God. So when you're depressed, don't think about the things that are wrong. Think about the things that are right, the things that are good and holy. That's what worship does. It refocuses your attention on the things of the Lord. And some of you, you might not be able to worship God yet for the big victories. You might have to start small. You woke up this morning. That's a good place to start. You have clothes on your back. Not, not designer, but it's something. That's a good place to start to praise the Lord. Well, you have some food on your table. It's not gourmet, but it's something. That's a good place to start. You have some shelter. It's not, it's not a mansion, but it's something. And praise the Lord for that. Maybe you need to write it down. Maybe you need to, you can't think of it all at once. Maybe you need to write it down. My daughter had a negative thought one time. I made her write down all the things that she could think of that made her happy. It was two pages. It was all Disney stuff, but, st but still. I, I was surprised at how many things she could come up with. And when you write it down, you'll find out that God has been better to you than you give him credit for. God has been better to you than you give him credit for. I've had some moments of worship in my house. I've had some moments of worship in my car. I've had some moments of worship even at the gym. But nothing compares to the worship in the house of the Lord with the gathering of the saints. You all know that because you're here. I'm talking to somebody online right now who's had one too many excuses for why they don't come to church. Was it the, the person who was speaking? Was it the weather? And I understand if you're staying out for medical reasons, I get it. I'm a doctor. But we have to make sure that we're not having a, coming up with excuses on why we can't come to the house of the Lord. Because the other thing that you'll find when you come into the house of the Lord is a good word. Worship and a good word. Proverbs 12:25 says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. A good word makes it glad. Sometimes you can't think of a good word on your own. Sometimes your friends don't have a good word for you. Sometimes your family doesn't have a good word for you. But if you come into this house, you're going to get a good word. And I've got a good word for you. 
that God loves you and he cares for you. That your life has value and meaning, not for anything that you've done, but for what Jesus Christ has already done for you. That he loved you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins and mine. That's a good word. That he rose again on the third day and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That's a good word. That he has all power and authority in his hands. That's a good word. That at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow. That's a good word. So depression must bow. Anxiety must bow. Fear must bow. That's a good word. And at the fullness of time, he's coming back, and we will be called up to meet him in the air. That's a good word. And he will fully establish his kingdom, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. That's a good word. And he will wipe away the tears from every one of his children. That's a good word. And there will be no more dying and no more sorrow and no more crying and no more pain. That's a good word. Hallelujah. 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 Remain standing just for a moment. I got one more, one more story. Thank you, Jesus. Help me reach your people. Help me reach your people. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure I've ever told this story. But when I was about 10 years old, I was in the house, in my room, my older brother, he's about 10 years older than me, so maybe he was about 20. He was in the kitchen. And this is back in the day when the, when the phone was attached to the wall and there was a cord. So you had to have a private conversation around the corner like, yeah, baby, I miss you too, you know? And he called me, he said, Michael, come get this phone. And I could hear the distress in his voice. I go to the kitchen, I answer the phone, and there's a, a, a young lady on the other end, and she sounded even more distressed. Michael, what's, what is your brother doing? What's, what's going on? Check on your brother. So I look, my brother's at the kitchen sink. He's got his back towards me. I go around to the sink, and I look. And he's got a butcher knife. He's starting to carve at his hand. And I didn't know what was going on. I, I knew it wasn't right. I was scared, confused. I didn't know what to say or what to do. And the only thing I could think to do, and I didn't even think about it, it just kind of came out of me instinctively. I said, in the name of Jesus, put the knife down. In the name of Jesus, put the knife down. In the name of Jesus, put the knife down and he put it down and I came here to tell somebody who may need to hear that today in the name of Jesus put the knife down in the name of Jesus put the rope down in the name of Jesus put the gun down in the name of Jesus 
put the pills down. In the name of Jesus, put the alcohol down. Put the drugs down. In Jesus' name. Because I know it's hard. And I know you're struggling. But I've got good news for you. Because I came not as a medical professional. I came as an ambassador for the word of the Lord. Your condition is not a terminal illness. Your depression is not a terminal illness. That Jesus healed every sickness and disease among the people. Every one of them. And that includes your depression. Jesus came so that you would have life and have life everlasting. And that is the hope of the gospel. That is the hope of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I want to give you the opportunity. I want to give you the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Every head bowed and every eye closed. You've tried everything else. You've not been able to find peace in your soul. The doctors can't do it. Medicines can't do it. Mama and daddy can't do it. You've tried it all. Why don't you try Jesus? Try Jesus and experience the peace of God that only he can bring. The life everlasting that only he can bring. Find rest for your spirit and your soul today. If that's you today and you want to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior for the first time, raise your hands high enough that I can see it. You want to accept Jesus for the first time, raise your hand up high enough so I can see it. Praise God. Salvation has come to the house today. If that's you online and you want to accept Jesus Christ, type in, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for salvation. Everybody, why don't you pray with me? If you just raise your hand, pray with me. Everybody repeating for the benefit of those around you. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for my sins. Jesus, I confess that you are Lord and Savior. I repent of my sins, and I believe that you were raised on the third day. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you, Lord, for setting me free. Now fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Put your hands together for salvation. Praise God for salvation. Thanks again for joining us. And thank you to those who give generously to make this ministry possible. You can click the link in our description to give now or visit www.givetofocus.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, and while you're at it, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at My Focus Church. We'd love to hear how God is speaking to you.